Hello, and welcome to the Build Better Software Podcast. I'm your host, George Stocker, and today I'm joined by John Erickson and Josh Hayer. Welcome to the show. Ahoy! Hello! hello. hello. <laughs> John and Josh, uh, for people who may not be familiar with who you are and what you do, tell us about yourselves. Should we both talk at the same time? Um, I, I one one after the other. Now. <laughs> I have to talk over somebody, or I, I just can't open my mouth. If we let you talk first, this will be the end of the episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is plausible. I'm just this guy, you know. So, John. Uh, well, you probably, if you know me at all, it's because I was a community manager at uh, Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange. I did that for um, almost seven years. And, uh, and now I am a... Uh, Community and Product uh, Operations Manager at uh, College Confidential, which is a forum site for people who are uh, applying to school um, for college and universities. Yeah, that's a good intro. I'm going to just steal that. Uh, so pretend I said what John just said, except replace seven with nine and replace uh, College Confidential with Enterprise DB or EDB, a Postgres company. Cool. Now, uh, I'm not going to let you get away with that, either of you. Um, oh, you son of a bitch. No, yeah. So, Josh, you were uh, actually the first community manager hired for Stack Overflow, no, as I understand no, it. You were. I was, uh, I was, let me see, one, two, three. I was either the third or fourth. I, I'm going to say third. It was, okay. uh, it was Robert Cartano. He was number one, although we all had different job titles in the early days. I don't think we settled on community manager until like a year. <laughs> but, um, he was, Robert Cortana was, was the first community coordinator. And then, uh, and then it was uh, Rebecca Chernoff. Uh, remember Rebecca? Yeah. Our churn. Our churn. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was number two. Now, now see, Rebecca was, uh, Rebecca was not, originally community coordinator. She was, uh, um, I think it was community evangelist or, or uh, developer evangelist, something like that. Uh, and then we all, we all kind of coalesced on community manager after a while as the least offensive generic name we could come up with. I was never comfortable with evangelist. That was, that was what Jeff suggested to me right away. And I was like, no, 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 no. So I came on as adjunct community coordinator yeah and working, working part-time for the first year uh just kind of trying it out to see if see if maybe the company would just go under and i could save myself some work uh and uh, when that didn't happen i came on full-time in uh, 2012. yeah and so you um now to remember back in the day this this is 10 years ago uh is that uh, community management from a public internet community perspective was still very new. And in fact, the only way I knew of it was through uh, video games, was that uh, places like Dice had community evangelists and, and community managers that helped manage, uh, manage video games or manage the communities for video games. So, you know, in this fresh new world of community management, how did you all acclimate to that job? So... Uh, first, I want to say video games are like the trendsetters in this field. Absolutely, um, they 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 were and still are uh, kind of leading in terms of of what 
it means to manage a community because uh, I, I think they figured out way ahead of just about everybody else that you you really do need people who are focused on that specifically. Uh, a lot of other companies had people doing similar things, but uh, it was almost like, you know, this is something you got to do in your part time above and beyond your real responsibilities. Uh, and, and video games pretty quickly figured out, especially the, the massively online multiplayer versions, they figured out that, oh, we actually need to culture, to nurture, to guide this community of people that we depend on in order to, you know, have a viable game and, uh, and put focus squarely on that. So we took our lead from that in a lot of ways. Um, John, we brought in because uh, he was super awesome in our community. He was writing stuff that uh, uh, was better than what we were writing. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so how did you how did you come to be at Stack Overflow, John? So I was I was a beta uh, user on Stack Stack Overflow, and then um, I uh, I threw a fit uh, because I didn't like some of the things that Jeff was doing. I thought closed uh, closed votes and closing questions was dumb. Like are we going to run out of bits on the internet? And so I quit. And then, uh, and then uh, Stack Exchange came along and, and there are all these crazy sites. And I was like, oh, these are interesting. I thought gardening and, and philosophy, that was my, that was going to be my entry back into it. And it turns out um, it's hard to do gardening when you only have a little apartment uh, condo thing. And uh, philosophy Space is buckets, great. Space man. Space buckets. <laughs> I... So I knew so little about gardening. I'm, I've got a house now. I actually can use the gardening site. Um, and then, uh, but the thing that really got me going was uh, biblical hermeneutics, which um, is uh, about interpreting the Bible, which was really something that, I, well, I still am fascinated by. And so I got into that. And uh, I think what Josh is saying at one point, uh, uh, there was a, a bunch of controversy over what, the site meant, and I ended up spilling tons and tons of digital ink on the meta site. Uh, so what trying the to work biblical hermeneutic site meant, or what? 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 Almost, what almost meant? like hermeneutics and exegesis are not words you use in everyday conversation. Huh? I can't even pronounce them. <laughs> yeah. Probably... So, so the, the the difficulty with biblical hermeneutics is that some people look at that and they're like, "Oh, cool! I'm going to be an evangelist." To pick up another word that. Josh isn't a huge fan of. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it for people who actually legit are evangelists. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't feel like it's a great job title for people who are, you know, doing community management. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I like advocate. Advocate, advocate is a good word. connotations, right? And, it, it, it complicated. Is, yeah, it is complicated. You, you, there was another word, by the way, that you you guys uh, struggled with a little bit unexpectedly. Um, and that was biblical. Uh, yeah. Uh, why, why is that? Well, different people have different ideas of what uh, the Bible is. That's right. Uh, Catholics, we there are you know five extra books uh, for Roman Catholics in the Old Testament that aren't present. Books. Aren't yeah, present no, Boston no. version. 
And, and those five books, I mean, that, this that's a huge, huge problem for us. So we got to we got to excommunicate you. You're not allowed on our site. Because... Well, and, and then there's there's like a whole group of people who, who consider, you know, the entire New Testament, even calling it the New Testament, to be uh, uh, anathema. Uh, a so, little bit um, offensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, so I'm that... about to, this is about to become a Bible podcast where we, <laughs> a religion oh, podcast we could, where we talk we, about we that. We could totally but make it work. No, we, no, the... we had, during this period when we were launching these sites, we would have, I kid you not, three to four our conversations every day involving the team where we would try to hash this stuff out really uh, and and clearly we, we didn't succeed because the problems were still in existence when the site launched and so john got stuck with them so how do you do that as a as a community manager you know you're you're you have this new thing you know in the case of stack overflow obviously it was all new to everybody but by the time you're getting to this biblical site you've got you know, you've got, hey, we want to put this thing out there. We're going to have people using it. How do you, how do you make any of that happen? So Prepare the, for peace and uh, pray for war. <laughs> Wait, the opposite of that. <laughs> I, I was going to say, it's not necessarily given that people will use it. Uh, and, and so, like, I, I think that's a, that's a problem that... Um, like it's actually a nice problem to have if you've got people who are using it. You're like, how, how are we going to direct it so that it's you know people are playing nice with each other? And my my philosophy was always uh, like give empower empower the users to make the space what they want, uh, which is why I ended up in lots of controversies over like, hey, why don't we just let those Catholics talk about those extra five Bible books? What, what do I care? It's just another question on the site. And other people are like no 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 that's that's not that's not what it is and so my philosophy was always like uh, sort of cliche but sort of democratize the community like make it so that everyone has a say everyone has uh, input into it I wonder if I wonder if Shog has a little different perspective on the thing no that sounds all about right. <laughs> well, see, so, so why why you're sitting over there on the Bible site, you know, uh, Josh or, or Shog, and you'll hear us call him, refer to him as Shog throughout this entire recording, simply because that's how we've known him for years. Um, but Shog, you are dealing with the expansion of Stack Overflow and taking over from really being the full time voice of community management from uh, Jeff Atwood, from the the founder of the site, and you started doing you know, those, those public interactions with the communities that he used to do. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, what do you do when you have a very, very opinionated voice effectively leading a community that just suddenly disappears? Um, I, I struggled with that problem. Uh, for a while because I didn't particularly want or, or think I should be uh, a replacement for that voice. I, I didn't feel like that was uh, appropriate for numerous reasons. And I quickly repented of that attitude because what actually happened was uh, uh, Oh, to use a biblical analogy, uh, the book of Judges, every man doing what was right in his own eyes. 
you you ended up with chaos. Uh, to uh, to bring us forward a few thousand years, uh, we we had the uh, the chaotic natural law that Thomas Hobbes wrote about. Uh, you can have people all with very uh, honorable reasons doing what they feel strongly is the right thing and still end up with all-out war because those those perspectives conflict people uh try to make use of the same resources in different ways in different ways that are not compatible with one another and if you don't have somebody willing to come in and say this is how things look and this is the way forward there is uh no possible resolution to this and in fact we've seen in in human history over and over again where these situations arise someone will always take on that role and if you uh if you don't if you try too hard to avoid that all you're really accomplishing is setting up a situation where you have no influence, where you have no voice in the government that is eventually constructed. And um, decisions are made by those that show up. Decisions are made by those that show up. Decisions are made by those who uh, are willing to put the time in, willing to put the effort in to to convince others. And I I, I came into Stack Overflow in. 2008 with a very strong opinion about what I wanted the site to be. And I didn't presuppose for a moment that that was the only opinion or that that was necessarily how it should come out, but I wasn't willing to stand by and see it turn into something else. Now you've got that, you've got those users and that, that goes to the, to the point of the show today is that uh, community is an integral part of software, whether that software is a public Q and a forum, Oh, sorry, not forum, public Q&A site, or whether that software is uh, really uh, incidental to the problem being solved. But you, but you have people, and you're always going to have users, and they're always going to have opinions. And as software developers, we need to uh, effectively mold and fashion those opinions and listen to those opinions to help us produce good software. And that's why I I have both of you here today because you have different takes on that and you're both in uh, different uh, verticals now. Um, both of you started out Stack Overflow, which is, as you said, a very opinionated place. And now you're, you're dealing with different types of communities. How do you, for, for teams that may not have what Stack Overflow had was a very public presence and a very public way of managing your community, how do you find your users? How do you interact with them? if you're not dealing in such public software. So first I want to say you don't have to. You can you can totally blow them off. I mean uh that's that's an option you have. It's not necessarily a good option, but uh if you don't have the the desire or the wherewithal to to handle dealing with the community you can uh, you can't really ignore it, but you can absolutely squelch it. Uh, Apple is uh, fantastic at this to to cite a 
very large example. They, they sort of have a community in spite of themselves. Are, are you referring to the latest with uh, the no, new? No, actually, that uh, if you're talking about DHH, no, that no, that, okay. That, I, 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 I've been using them as an example of this for years. I, I think they they try very hard to sort of keep their community at arm's length, uh, and uh, and that works for them. I, I don't think it will work for uh, most companies at their scale, uh, and it, it it's definitely a risky Bold move <laughs> but uh that's how they do things um and it's not you know it, it's not a uh accidental decision that that attitude pervades their organization uh and and they they uh, uh work towards that from many many different angles uh in in their development and uh rollout processes in their marketing, in their support organization. Um, I, I wouldn't say I recommend it, but uh, if you got a Steve Jobs complex and you really want to go whole hog on it, yeah, by all means, uh, throw up the middle finger to your community and uh, just roll on and see how that works out for you. John? Uh, yeah, so the, the question about how you interact with the community, it's so one thing I have to say, we have a like college confidential is a form. It's so freeing. I can say form and no one will yell at me. Uh, we actually have forums. That's the, the adjustment I had to make. It's not one form, it's many forums. And, um, and I agree, like you can, you can totally play hands off with it. Uh, and it, you know, things, things can, can work that way. That's in fact the model that uh, I stepped into was um, they didn't really like the people who owned the forum didn't know what to do with it. They didn't have necessarily a vision for it. They just sort of like, fell into their lap. <laughs> they bought another company and was part of this company. And uh, and so when I stepped in, the, one of the, the things that I decided early on was I'm going to engage with the community. And that means um, like I do some posting I happen to have a son who is um, considering school, uh, going to college, and uh, so you know I have I have a voice that I can you know I can talk about what I'm experiencing, uh, so I can be part of the community, and then um, and then there are spaces within you know like uh, one of our forums is for parents, and I can talk directly to the parents on the forum via that space, and I try. Uh, opposite of the Apple approach. I, I don't have a lot of secrets. Uh, we don't have big reveals. Um, I kind of consider it a mistake if people find out about something the day that we release it. Uh, and uh, that may work for Apple, but it doesn't work for, for our team because um, our community uh, wants to have input. Uh, their input is actually valuable. Like we've seen, uh, we had a major redesign last year. Uh, this is before I was part of the company and it fell on its face uh, because none of the user uh, feedback was uh, was incorporated into the design. Uh, so I, I just like, I feel like it's a pound of the pavement, uh, go out, meet people as much as I can, uh, shake babies and kiss hands. Is that what you're supposed to do as a politician? Sounds right. Uh, the other way around. <laughs> I, I'm sure um, all of those words are in there somewhere. Yeah, in, in some form or yeah. fashion. Uh, so that that's interesting because 
you know, one of the issues that we all have uh, most recently that I dealt with was through Slack, where Slack changes our UI. And they're like, hey, we're changing our UI. It's going to be so awesome. And I looked up, <laughs> I don't know how to use this anymore. Um, and we even see to a certain extent with Stack Overflow uh, when they would make changes. And you'd get the people who were really invested uh, in, the, in the software as it was saying like, hey, you moved my cheese. Hmm. How do you deal with that as a community manager? Ooh, I got opinions here. <laughs> so first of all, I want to address the uh, <clears throat> the idiom there, uh, the moving cheese uh, corporate fable is uh, complete bullshit. <clears throat> Anybody want to argue about that? No, I, I want to hear why it's complete bullshit oh, because this on. is going to be good. No, no, it's it's okay. Look, uh, as 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 creatures. We are optimized from top to bottom for efficient use of energy. Our brains, our muscle memory, our nervous system chews up a massive amount of energy, uh, both in thinking and in mistakes. When we have to retrain, there is a huge cost to that. I mean, you can think of a, a simple example, something you do every day, some, some, some little tool. Uh, you're, you're moving from, I don't know, a pair of scissors to a left-handed pair of scissors, and suddenly you have to uh, figure that out. Uh, you're you're, you're going to be super annoyed. If you, I don't know if you're a, one of those people who's super into keyboards. I'm not, but I, I know people who are. You, you do. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Keyboards. Uh, I hate, I, I, I get flustered and irritated if I got to move to a keyboard where they put the, uh, the return key in an L shape instead of a bar shape, like God intended. Uh, but there are people who will switch up between normal keyboards and split keyboards and chord keyboards and weird little keyboards that like scatter their keys all over creation and, and retrain themselves on that. And you know what? If that's your hobby, more power to you. But I just want the words in my head to appear on the screen. I don't want to have to stop and think about it. And I, I would argue that most people are in that same boat. We don't want to expend energy to accomplish a task we already know how to do. So how do you help the community when you have something like a redesign or a new feature or a change in a workflow that they're used to? Well, first off, you're starting at negative 100, right? You, you assume that when you go to announce this, your post, it may not reflect it yet. Uh, 100 people hate it right out of the gate. And then uh, you have to dig yourself out of that hole. Right? So don't come in with the idea that, hey, I'm going to roll out this huge, impressive, shiny new feature and everybody's going to love it. You may love it. You've spent three months thinking about it, maybe longer. Nobody else has. The first thing they see is, wow, I have to expend energy. I have to burn hours of my precious life and calories that I worked hard to obtain in order to do the same thing I was doing yesterday. 
No, that's an interesting change. I hadn't thought about it like that. So that's that's where you're coming in. You have to dig yourself out of that hole. You have to you have to crawl up out of this pit that you were starting in. How are you going to do that? That's why well, I ideally, have you here to tell me. <laughs> ideally, you don't you don't dig a pit with straight walled sides, right? You you spend those three months that you're working on this thing, uh, digging a nice, gentle ramp down into there. You you lay the groundwork for this explanation you're making for this announcement. You go and talk to people in your community. You shop around the idea. You find ways to address concerns. More than anything, you find ways to convey the advantages that this change is bringing that they might not have thought of. But once they get it in their heads that, hey, yeah, this is going to cost me time and energy in one regard, but in the long term, it's an investment. It's going to save me time and effort. Or maybe it's not going to save me anything. Maybe I'm going to have to pay a cost, but for some other portion of this community, it's going to be a win. If you can get all that stuff together, especially if you can get a cadre, a posse of people in your community who are already on board when you make your big rollout, then you don't have so much work to do. You've got that nice ramp out of your pit that you can just stroll up out of. You've had all of the arguments before. You have honed your presentation your 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 announcement to the point where any concern somebody raises you're standing right there to address it you have the phrasing and the presentation ready to go i was telling somebody earlier today i've written a tremendous number of announcements in 30 minutes or less but in all those cases, I have spent months preparing to write that announcement. I've spent months doing the research, doing the, the acclamation to the concept that I'm introducing, to the design that I'm presenting. If you don't put that prep work in, it doesn't matter if you spend a week agonizing over what you're writing. It's still going to go over like a lead balloon. John, I see I, you. I see you nodding. I, I can totally concur with that. So, an example uh, that some of you may be aware of: uh, we had this project called Documentation, and Documentation was for Stack uh, Overflow. For Stack Overflow, it was uh, built in a, uh, in a in a lab. Uh, no one was allowed to enter the lab, and then they flung open the doors, and people were like, "What is going on?" And uh, uh, you know, I, I thought that was a fun project to do. It had a lot of nice uh, features to it, uh, but it failed. And so that, you know, you're kind of doomed both ways if you do a poor job of announcing it. Um, uh, and then you get people who actually figure it out and are enjoying it. And then you have to shut it down. Uh, like that's another, that's another spot where people have gotten used to um, Google Reader to name an example. And, and now you're taking it away and you're saying you can't use this piece of software anymore. And so I had the same experience that, that Josh was talking about where like it literally took me a couple hours to write the uh, where sunsetting documentation uh, meta post. Um, I did, you know, a few hours in the afternoon. Uh, but that wasn't the first time I had thought what what we're going to do when we shut down this documentation. 
I had um, written six months before a like this is what I'm going to say when we shut down documentation, uh, which I didn't you know didn't broadcast to anybody in the company because like you don't want to be labeled as the the doomsayer. Uh, but but I had that ready. I knew it was uh, it was a possibility, and and so I'd been thinking about it for for months. And also like, what is my victory lap going to be? Uh, so like I had those those thoughts in mind. So what what uh, what Shark said is absolutely true. So that gets us to a, a touchy topic: um, is telling your users the truth. Is how is dealing with the fact that you have users of your software who are invested in it and you have to tell them something that they don't want to hear. What, what do you do? How do you do it? So first off, you, you need to understand why you, you need to understand why they don't want to hear it, why they're apprehensive. Second, you need to understand why you need to tell them that, why, why they need to hear that, uh, why you're doing the thing that you're doing or can't do the thing that you're not doing. If you don't understand both of those things, then you're really not going to have a good time trying to communicate. <laughs> you work for Enterprise DB, a company. Um, John, you work for... Uh, College Confidential, uh, a company. Stack Overflow is a company, and companies exist to, you know, put money in their bank accounts so that they they exist day after day. And but your users don't have that point of view. Your users are they there. absolutely can. They I mean, can, but I in, in my are experience not blind they don't. To the, the the fact that uh, companies need to make money. Yeah. So how do you square that circle where, you know, you're like, Hey, we, we got to shut down documentation. It's not make us any money, right? We're, we're losing time, losing effort, losing money. And you've got users that have put hundreds, if not thousands of hours, probably only hundreds because it didn't last that it long. It wasn't that long. <laughs> um, they put hundreds of hours of their life into it. Like, how do you, how do you tell people the truth when the truth is, you know, money-based when the truth is, you know, a, 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 a misalignment of, I guess, values. So I think John actually did a really good job of this um, in, in terms of communicating that thing. Uh, I, if you go back and look at the documentation project, there were a lot of mistakes. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of mistakes. Let's <laughs> emphasize that. And these mistakes were not uh, secret. They were called out at the time or, or very shortly after they were made. Yeah, Some seem tactical. Now, for our audience, people who may not be aware of what this is, documentation, and I'm going to say a little bit about it and you guys fill it in, uh, fill in the parts I miss. Documentation was an effort to expand beyond question and answer and actually go into uh, the things that we saw from poorly maintained documentation across the internet for programming APIs, frameworks, uh, all sorts of things related to programming, either a library or framework, what have you, and actually putting the documentation with examples in a way that was easily searchable, uh, editable, uh, and stayed up to date. Now, that's how I saw it. How did you guys see it? 
So you, you mentioned the keyword and you just slipped right past it, uh, examples. So the, the concept was it wouldn't just be replacing the documentation, it would be giving you examples, um, focusing on code that people could uh, read and understand. And so there was debate about whether the whole thing should be called uh, examples or documentation. Docutoots. And <laughs> Yes, I forgot about docutoots. What is docutoots? Um, documentation tutorials. Yeah, ah. was the, the compromise solution, you see. Now it's it's funny as you say that you know documentation has been tried multiple different ways across the internet. Uh, there's read the docs. There's a few others uh, that I can't offhand mention, but I know exist. And documentation is just blah. It's always this is a a bland usage that no one actually ever uses it that way. They use it you know in furtherance of something else that the documentation never covers. Uh, so why not examples? Why did that lose? Because that sounds like a really nice reframing of what it did. Why did that lose? Um, so, so like, it, it's part of it is politics, like internal politics. Uh, but part of it is just like uh, documentation sounds like a bigger idea than examples, right? And so there's this temptation to say, okay, if you've got two choices, we can do the grand idea, or we can do sort of the focused practical idea. And uh, your odds of, of accomplishing a focused practical idea are, are better than the grand idea. But uh, like oftentimes it's easier to sell the grand idea internally. Like you say documentation, it means so many different things to so many different people. And it can you be get more people signing like. on because they think they're signing on to something they want instead mm, exactly. of what you're actually doing. This, by the way, comes back to my thesis of you have to know why you're doing what you're doing before you start writing. Yeah. So and that, it, that sounds like almost, almost a tautology, right? Right. But it is a truism. Yeah. It, it, it is. <laughs> It is uh, something that uh, a great many people, including myself, uh, strive to avoid in almost every project because it requires work up front. Mm. It requires discipline to define what your goals are and what your goals are not. It requires discipline to be precise in your wording, which we all hate. <laughs> and uh, it it requires uh it, it requires work it uh it is way too easy to come out of a meeting really psyched just just really jazzed about this thing you're doing and then to sit down and start writing it out to shop that idea around to the other people who are on the same call you were and to suddenly realize that Number one, it isn't actually as exciting as you thought it was. Number two, we don't actually all agree on what we thought we had agreed to build. And now you feel like you've lost momentum, right? You feel like you've done this thing, which was tedious and took a lot of focus to do. And it hasn't bought you anything. It's cost you the energy that you were going to use to build it. So you have this kind of innate, motivation to not do it but of course we all know where that leads george you 
talk a lot about test-driven development, and I think this fits into the same boat with that. It isn't a ton of fun to write tests, especially to write tests up front. And worst, once you have that, you find that your code is failing those tests like all the freaking time, and you got to go fix that instead of just you know getting in the zone and speeding away writing page after page of logic that you're pretty sure is rock solid. It feels like it saps your energy. You're right. And you said it earlier, and it wasn't about test-driven development, even though it could have been, is that you've got to know what you're trying to accomplish, why you're trying to accomplish it. And you've got to have a crystal clear picture of your goal with TDD. Otherwise, you'll get halfway through and realize, wait a minute, the way that I thought this architecture was going to flesh out doesn't work. And oh, by the way, all that stuff I did, it's got to go away. And nobody, nobody wants that. Well, so that's it, right? It's an investment. You, and you have to look at it that way. You can't look at it as like, this is, this is going to be the fun part of the process. You got to look at it as like, this is going to save me so much stress and time later on. It's an investment in the future success of your project. And it's absolutely just as true for your communication as it is for the actual code you write. One of the things that happened on documentation was uh, we didn't do some of that investment, ironically. There wasn't enough documentation around documentation. <laughs> and uh, we showed it to people inside the company. And the first time we sat down and did a, like a usability interview where we just said, you know, here, show me what you think you should do. People had no earthly idea what to do. Like the, the goal of the project was confusing to people using uh, using it the first time. And that meant we had to throw away a bunch of work that had been done or re revamp it or, or change the way that it worked. And it just seemed tedious. Like, well, the problem isn't my software. The problem is these people who don't understand the very obvious thing that we are trying to do. And, uh, and it's so easy to overestimate how quickly people will pick up on something because we spent six months or something, you know, some number of months working on it. And of course it felt natural to us. We'd seen how it'd been built from nothing up into this, uh, this system. And so it's super easy for us, but you throw an average person and say, figure it out. They need more than that. <laughs> they need a lot more not, because they need to catch lie. up. I, I, I struggled with it. I, I just figured you guys were smarter than me. So. We were smarter than you, Sean. That's, <laughs> see, here's the problem. Like, you, you can't just, uh, uh, like, there's not enough people who are as smart as we were. That, that's why it failed. <laughs> you, you, everybody has to be at this level in order that's to right. uh, ride this ride. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question. This is a purposely a loaded question for the sweet summer children among us that have never dealt with this. But why not just assign personas and why not just build <laughs> software? to those personas. Why deal with community at all? That's uh, George, that is a fantastic idea. Uh, as long as your community is composed entirely of fake people, uh, <laughs> it will work 100% of the time. Um, yeah. So I, I'm working with a great marketing department, and that should not come out as sarcastic as it might sound. Uh, like, honestly, they're wonderful. And they came up with these personas. And I looked at them. I was like, wow, that is fantastic. This is great. This was before I really knew anything about the community. And I started meeting the people in the community. I was like, which, which persona is this one? 
And, uh, and then later I did a, a poll. I tried to do a poll of who's actually using the site. And we had um, uh, three personas for uh, less than 20% of our population. And we had four personas total. So that one persona had to take on a lot, of, a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so it was, it was all wrong. And like, we're still using them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having those personas from a marketing perspective, but you have to realize it's, um, let's call it aspirational. These are the people we would like to be using the site. Um, but to get to that point, we need to actually work with the people who are using the site. <laughs> we, we can't be, you can't live in the aspirational space. You have to live in the, the space that you're, uh, where the work is happening already. You ever done that thing where you're like really dreading a conversation? And so you rehearse it in your own head, like, and, and you make up the responses that the person you need to talk to is gonna, gonna be given to you. And, and somehow, you know, after a few practice runs maybe, that conversation just goes off perfectly. You, you have the yep. snappiest responses to, to every reply you get from this uh, uh, figure of your, your uh, target in your head. And, and then you go to have the conversation and, and they got the temerity to not give any of the responses that you imagined them giving and instead say completely other things. And, and you're sitting there stumbling over your words, trying to figure out why they're being so rude to you and, uh, and not letting you just parrot all of the candied lines that you have uh, so diligently rehearsed. And, uh, and eventually it dawns on you that, you know, maybe I didn't really know the person that I intended to talk to. Maybe I just thought I did. Shog, that reminds me. <laughs> that, that reminds me, Shog, uh, you make a terrible straight man. Like you do not respond the way that I expect when I ask you a question. <laughs> so all my zingers that I've been pre preparing weeks in advance, they just fall flat <laughs> because you didn't set it up properly. Very uh, this is, uh, there's a, there's a tangential story I could tell there, but we're, we're at about 10 minutes or something. So I'll leave it for another call. Uh, but, uh, you know, this, this is the thing. People are, people are complex. People are rich. People are like, like a, uh, you know, a good craft beer. Uh, you, you can expect a, a good solid glass of Coors Banquet, but that's not what you're going to get. And uh, you just got to kind of roll with it. You can, you can practice. You should practice. But you should practice with real people. Because that's the only way you're, you're actually going to learn how to deal with real people. What's that phrase? Plans are, are dumb. Planning is essential. However, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure uh, that makes say plans. Dumb, God laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> but no, I mean, look, we're we're all in some sense we're we're doing uh, we're doing improv here. We're trying to uh, get to a goal from a starting point, but we really don't know what the road there is going to look like. And the more detailed and inflexible we make those plans, whether that's communication or code, the more likely they are to break and leave us stranded out in the boonies someplace with no road in sight. Now, both of you were at Stack Overflow, and this is really interesting because both of you were at Stack Overflow from one extreme to the other. When Stack Overflow started out, it was extremely transparent. 
Um, and then over the years, it gradually became less so to the point that uh, they're trying now to bring transparency back as a, they have it, I guess, I think they have it as value. So they, now that it's on the wall as a value, maybe we'll do it. Um, but they're trying to bring transparency back. Now, as community managers, you sit at a, at the, you sit between the users of your software and the company who is producing that software ostensibly for a financial reason. You know, how do you, how do you deal with the users wanting transparency and the company maybe not you know, having transparency is their their top priority. I gotta so the say, ir irony of this is, oh, John, you go ahead. I have a long. I, we're probably going to say the same thing. Who knows? But I was going to say there was probably more of an illusion of transparency when I first started than than uh, you might imagine. So we were free in tell, telling you know telling uh, the community what's going on, but there was a lot going on behind the scenes where. Like it was sort of managed transparency, and I think that's perfectly fine. I don't think there's any any problem with with that. And uh, so, just the question is, it's not like I didn't feel like it's necessarily extremes. It's more of like, uh, how you know, what sort of transparency? You know, illusion is probably a little too cynical, but like you know, like what it's are you going to share? How are you going to share? Yeah, veneer. Yeah, something <laughs> like that, and. I don't know. I mean, it, I, I never felt like we were completely transparent uh, or even that that was necessarily appropriate. Uh, but um, you can have functional, uh, <laughs> functional non-transparency and unfunctional. And I felt like, uh, that, you know, we kind of, like you said, if, if transparency is a value that you have to get back to, uh, maybe something went wrong along the way. I think at the point you put it on the wall, you've you've lost sight of what the purpose of trans. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dispute something you said, John. I I That's think uh, I don't think there is perfect transparency. I think all transparency is superficial mm. from a certain perspective. <clears throat> transparency is something you have to struggle to achieve, and ideally, you know why. You're struggling to achieve that. You you have specific use cases in mind. You're building out transparency for a purpose. Once again, you have to know what you're doing <laughs> and why you're doing it. Uh, you can't just say we're going to be completely open and transparent. This is the uh, this is the open source conceit that you know, given enough eyeballs, all bugs are shallow. Well, that's probably true but it's true in the same sense as you know putting infinite monkeys in front of typewriters is going to give you shakespeare it's not necessarily a practical utility unless you happen to have an infinite number of monkeys sitting around in which case you have bigger problems. you'll probably run out of typewriter ribbon <laughs> that shit's hard to find now man uh <laughs> the uh so so when you're designing i wrote an essay on this a few months ago but the when you're designing for transparency the first thing you've got to establish is why do I want this? What what purpose is the transparency supposed to achieve? Who is it for? And, and what are they trying to do that they need it for? And once you've done that, you may end up building a facade that is transparent. Mm -hmm. I, I use the analogy of the, uh, the, the uh, electronic uh, control system in your car where the actual functionality of your engine is anything but transparent. You go in there with your, your analyzer, your code reader, and see what the ECU is telling you, 
it is uh, it is a fiction based on what the computer thinks it knows about what your engine is doing. But it's a very useful fiction. In almost all cases, it will give you a better idea of where a problem is or what you need to do to fix a performance issue than sitting there with an old school analyzer hooked up to the spark plugs uh, is going to tell you. You have a lot better summary of the information than what you would have otherwise, and you're able to make good decisions based on that. And that should be your goal for transparency. And if you can be transparent down to the atomic level, okay, fine, great, more power to you. But if you can only do that at the cost of the actual utility, then you're not helping your audience by doing this. You're, so un you're unbridled transparency is a disaster is what you're saying. I, I, it doesn't have to be, but you, you, you have to keep in mind your goals. I mean, you know, I got a hammer hanging on the shelf next to me here right now. It's pretty transparent. Even though I can't see through it, I can see exactly how it works. All of the important bits, <laughs> the business end, the, the, the claw end, the bit that I hold on to, those are all very visible to me. I can pick that up blindfolded and probably even hit something with it, although possibly that will be my thumb. So I'm I'm thinking of a of a. I don't need of, a glass hammer. I just cut out, didn't I? Yes, you did. <laughs> at, at a weird point. Uh, I don't need a glass hammer. Was my was my punchline, but I completely destroyed the setup to that. <laughs> uh, well, I was gonna I was gonna use that analogy with the glass hammer. I don't know if I would use glass hammer, but I was thinking, uh, you know, the the aphorism should be uh, people who live in glass houses shouldn't take showers, uh, because. Oh man! Maybe there is such a thing as too much transparency. So, what are you guys doing now? Like, what do you? How do you spend your time now, John? Uh, so, so, something that um, shocked me earlier this week was I had a little moment of grief, and it turned out that I haven't been programming like at all. Uh, and when I was at Stack Overflow, I could always pretend like, oh yeah, I, I'm a programmer a little bit because like I'm working with programmers. And now I work with people who uh, are definitely not programmers. And I had a moment of grief realizing that's that's not my field anymore, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so I'm, I'm actually a people manager as much as anything else. I've got a small team of people that, that uh, work, I work with, but they work for me. And um, so I do a lot of meetings. I am, this is, I've had a meeting, straight meeting since uh, eight this morning. So I'm glad, glad we were able to fit this in. Yeah, me too. I have a short period of time where I don't have meetings. And, uh, and then I write a lot of documentation uh, about what I'm hoping to accomplish with our platform, the changes we're trying to make. Uh, like I said, I talk to the community uh, because I believe that's important. Um, so yeah, I'm a manager. <laughs> That's its own field. So we're, I guess it's okay. Uh, now, Josh, what do you do now? So funny enough, I'm writing documentation <laughs> <laughs> at this, at this moment. I have, I have, I, I guess a few, uh, other, uh, responsibilities or areas I'm investigating, but, uh, uh, my big focus this week is writing 
introductory documentation for uh, a few different uh, programming concepts, uh, which uh, has required me to step back and spend a lot of time analyzing what people who are very new to a system struggle with, where they get in the weeds. Uh, because I can look at the existing documentation. I can look at the stuff that's out there. And it all looks fine to me. It's perfectly easy for me to get up and running with it. And so I need to put that out of my head and stop writing phrases like, you simply do X. And then Y is easy. You just do Z. Because so you don't use simply and just in the you, documentation you, you don't, becomes so much better, right? If, if, if I was writing for me, I wouldn't be writing at all. I'm writing for the people who are posting on Stack Overflow, who are posting on Twitter, who are posting in the, in the uh, Slack rooms or IRC, who are struggling with stuff that I already know how to do, that the existing documentation is sufficient for, for me. But not for them. They've gotten in the weeds. There's some concept. There's some idea, terminology, something that they don't quite have their head around yet. And I need to identify that. I need to identify where they're struggling and try to make sure that I'm taking the time to explain that, ideally without writing, you know, 3,000 words about it, because nobody's got that kind of time. <laughs> now, I guess a final question for our audience uh, who, you know, may or may not have community managers uh, on their team. But for software teams, should all software have community managers? Is this, or is this a bit like asking a barber if I need a haircut? Oh, dude, I, this, this, we could go another hour on this, but I'm, I'm going to throw something at you. Software is government. That's not an analogy. That's not a metaphor. I'm saying software is literally a form of government. Do you agree? John's nodding his head. Yeah. You guys are on the side. Well, I think my I think my head is now blown, actually. Or my, <laughs> my mind is blown, not my head. But listen, so, it all makes sense. I'm telling you. Form of I, government. If I had like, a camera, I would point to my wall with the <laughs> string and the little cutouts from you. No. Uh, software is a form of government. If you go back to uh, good old Thomas Hobbes, who I mentioned earlier, and think about his theories on government, you'll see this becomes immediately apparent. Government is a structure put in place by mutual agreement, maybe not in reality, but effectively, uh, that allows us to delegate control in exchange for some measure of safety. Or to broaden that a little bit, in exchange for something that we couldn't have without delegation. What do we do for software? We delegate control in exchange for the freedom to do something else. And whether you're talking about social software like Stack Overflow or Facebook or Twitter, or you're talking about application software like Microsoft Word, or I don't know, the venerable tar utility, all that software is doing is constraining your freedom in exchange for something else. It accepts a limited set of inputs. It will produce a limited set of outputs based on those inputs. And you are accepting those restrictions in exchange for something that it gives you, effectively in exchange for time, possibly in exchange for accuracy or 
freedom from thought, ultimately in exchange for calories, which is life, which is freedom. So software is a form of government. And I think this, if, if you look at it from that perspective, all software is in some sense, social software. Everyone using Microsoft Word alone on their computer at home is implicitly accepting this social contract that their documents will take on certain formats allowed by the application and will be stored in a format dictated by the application. They are accepting that certain people will be able to accept those documents and read them, certain other people will not. Everyone using TAR is accepting that, you know, it's not going to write zip files. You have to use something else for that. This, I think, explains a lot about the classic Unix philosophy of one tool, one task, as well as the, uh, the, the other classic Unix philosophy, which is, uh, I think, something along the lines of uh, libertarianism forever, raw. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> the ultimate point of this uh, frustrating little rant is, is that you don't necessarily need a community. You don't necessarily need community managers. But in some sense, your software is social. And if you want to serve the, the group of people governed by it, if you really want to serve them as a body, if you want to leave your government unassailable from uh, usurpers, you do so, you, you, then you ignore the needs and wants, desires of your, your constituency at your peril. And a community management team can be the bridge to what your users as a group are needing, are suffering under. With a higher approval rating than Congress, I assume. Well, you know, I, I strongly suspect that <clears throat> certain companies have a lower approval rating than Congress right now. So uh, uh, you could... You could do worse than Congress. <laughs> what's what's the phrase? Everybody hates Congress, but everybody loves their congressperson. It, it is true. I, I do love my congressperson. So, what about you, John? Community uh, managers essential or uh, superfluous? So, I um, one of the things on this job we we have all these trainings, uh, and I, I'm skeptical of training. But we had one that was called uh, change management. And unfortunately, change management, uh, the acronym for that is CM. And so I saw people at my company who didn't have much, uh, I'm the first, I'm basically the first CM that they've, uh, they've had uh, using this uh, acronym that I had an immediate idea for. And they were calling it change management instead of community management. Uh, then I took the class and I discovered that what change management is, is uh, the people side of change. And so you're managing uh, like reactions when you change something on them. You're trying to figure out where the resistance is. You're trying to, uh, you know, like we were talking about before, what's in it for me? That's a big phrase. And what I realized is there is almost a one-to-one -one relationship between change management and community management. And I was thinking about uh, Shog's uh, uh, example just a minute ago, and I, I 
I actually know of a piece of software that that doesn't change or, or is pretty much locked in Ember, and that's the the tech uh, uh, formatting system. Uh, <laughs> uh, Donald, and I'm saying a bunch of words that are hard. Nuth, is that how yeah. you pronounce it? Uh, he, he's basically said there there aren't going to be any more uh, updates, and the updates are only like very rare. Uh, and it's a great system; I, I love it. But um, it, like, it, you have to build on top of it. You have to build something more to to make it usable. It's it's really hard for the average person to write in raw tech. You have to use some other extension to it. And uh, one of the advantages for him is it's it's locked. He doesn't have to argue with people about how do you change, you know, what's the next change to it. He can just say it's not changing, and um, and so the the place where community is happening in that software is at the extension level, at the LaTeX <laughs> or other other extensions. And uh, and so I think I think it's absolutely true that because when you change something, you have to deal with people's response to it. If you want your software to change. Uh, you're going to have to deal with how people respond to that change, and that's um, whether you call it change management or community management is is six of one, half a dozen of another. Mm -hmm. uh, you are going to have to you're going to have to talk to people and figure it out, or you don't have to, but uh, like Shog said, it's a lot easier, or it's a lot not easier. Things work out better in the end, I think. All right. And on that note, John and Shog, or, or Josh, thank you for joining me today. Hey, you betcha. This is fun. Absolutely. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Uh, join me again next time for the Build Better Software podcast. Thanks.